100, page 604, and Shiloh's coming to read, and then David will preach it to us. Shout for the joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are we are his we are his people the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his court with praise give thanks to him and praise his name for the lord is god and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through generations this is the word of the lord God. morning everyone do are there a couple of from the younger crowd here, um, kids perhaps, that would want to volunteer to have a little conversation about this painting with me. If not, I'll just start talking. Does anybody, any kids want to volunteer? Okay, I'm getting a little bit of feedback in the mic. I think it's gone now. Okay, so this painting, and if you can't see it at the back, feel free to walk up to the side and have a look at it. Um, or you can look at it on your phone if you want. If you just Google My First Sermon by John Everett Millay, um, it will come up on your phone. You might be familiar, familiar with this artist. This artist um, painted Ophelia, Shakespeare's Ophelia, which is a very famous painting. It's over in Tate, Britain. This particular painting is at the Guildhall Art Gallery. Susan and I went over to the Guildhall Art Gallery a number of months ago, um, had a look at some of the paintings there. We came upon this painting. Now, apparently, this is a painting of the artist's daughter, okay? And the title is My First Sermon. Have a real close look at her and look at the look on her face. She is very attentive. She is looking right at the preacher, which is what I'm hoping for this morning. You might notice her clothes. She has dressed up for this occasion. And if you look at the painting itself, and by the way, that's free. You can just walk into the Guildhall Art Gallery and see it. Um, the muff on her hands, the painting of the fur and everything, it's absolutely fabulous, the detail that he put into that. But that's my first sermon, and obviously dressed up, sitting up straight, right? Okay, so this is right beside it, and it's entitled My Second Sermon. And this again is the artist's daughter. She's fallen asleep, her hat's to the side. Maybe sometimes what we do in church can become routine. Hopefully not as quick as your second sermon, but sometimes what we do in church can become routine. So we're gonna talk a little bit more about that this morning as we think about Psalm 100. If I do this, perhaps, yeah, that's good. Okay, so let's reflect on that, but before we do, let me open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to come and hear from your word. Father, we pray that you would illuminate it for us. We pray that your spirit would be with us this morning. As we look at these verses, as we look at this psalm, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin, 
Let's reflect on our opening song. Opening song was Praise Him, You Heavens. What were you thinking about as we were singing it? Were you thinking about it? Was it familiar to you? Was it unfamiliar? Did you know the words? And now think back before that song. Think back to when you were walking up the steps out front. Were you anticipating something? Who greeted you? Hopefully somebody greeted you. How did you decide where to sit? Did you look for someone familiar? Perhaps you went to your usual seat? Or go back a bit further to when you got up this morning. Would you have liked to sleep a bit longer? Maybe you wanted to have another coffee. Maybe you wanted to finish what you were reading. Sometimes, what we do on Sunday mornings can become routine. We get up, we get ready, we get ourselves to church, we sing songs, we say prayers, we listen to readings, we listen to talks, we serve. Do we do these things when we feel like it? Do we do them when we don't feel like it? More fundamentally, why do we do this? Do we feel a sense of obligation? Maybe guilt? Perhaps you came with your parents. Or maybe you came along with someone as a guest because they asked you to. Perhaps you dropped in this morning because you're new and you're curious about what goes on here. Or perhaps another question, who do we do it for? And one last reflection, recall our reading this morning, and again, just maybe turn to it on page 604 of your Pew Bible. What struck you when you heard the opening two verses? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. If you're following along in your outline, this says that Firstly, we are to worship God joyfully. When you hear that, does it reflect how you were feeling as the service opened this morning? If it does, praise God. If it doesn't, at the moment at least, then let's ask ourselves the question, why? Or why not? Or why worship God as this psalm calls us to? Or what's our motivation to worship God? Now, before we move on and look at some of the answers to those why questions more fully, let's reflect on these two verses in a bit more detail. Notice that this psalm is really a call to worship, and it was probably intended to be sung. So picture a worship leader such as a priest asking a congregation to join him in worshiping God. Shout for joy. That's hard to fake or do so insincerely. You really need a reason to shout and sing with joy. And notice in verse one, it's not just addressing the congregation. The call is beyond the nation of Israel to all the people of the earth. God is their king too, whether they are aware of it or not. Note also that the word worship in verse two, in the NIV, and that's the translation you have in your pew Bible, is translated as serve in other translations, or serve the Lord with gladness. So a broader meaning of worship is intended here. Service implies submission to God's rule, which comes out of a response of joy and gladness. Joy in living in harmony with our creator, redeemer, and king. 
Loving service is a grateful response to the grace of God. We'll come back to it in a bit, but how much more the case for us with the knowledge of God's ultimate grace through Christ. And finally, look back at the last phrase of verse two again. Come before him or enter his presence in some translations. Now perhaps we have a perception of God as scary or distant or judgmental. If so, the idea of coming before him could be uncomfortable and yet we are to do so, to come before him or to enter his presence with joyful songs. Clearly these verses imply a different and distinct relationship to God, one characterized by joy and gladness in his presence. But how can we have that? Well, let's continue and see if we can answer that and the earlier why worship God question. And here the second thing we see is that we can know God who made us and belong to him. Look with me at verse three. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What does it mean to know that the Lord is God? Well, it's an acknowledgement or confession that he is the only living and true God. More widely in scripture, we learn that he is a being who is infinitely perfect, self-existent and self-sufficient and the source of all being, including us who he made. He's an eternal spirit, incomprehensible and independent. Notice that verse three says, know that the Lord is God, not that he is a God. The statements in this verse are a confession by the people of their accountability to him and of their privileged position as his people. One Bible commentary puts it that this knowledge of what God is and what he is to us is the mother of devotion and of all obedience. He made us, both our bodies and our spirits, therefore we belong to him. We are his people and a picture of that is being the sheep of his pasture, which we see immediately following at the end of verse three. And kids, if you're coloring your sheet, this is where your sheet comes in. This imagery of God as shepherd and his people as his sheep is familiar to us in scripture. For instance, keep one finger in Psalm 100 and turn with me to Psalm 23. And you can find that on page 555 in your pew Bible. Um, just back several, many, many Psalms, page 555. Here King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 gives us a great example of knowing 
that the Lord is God, that it is he who made us, and what it means to be his. This isn't a sermon on Psalm 23, but let's consider it a bit more fully in terms of helping us understand this idea of knowing God in our passage today. Firstly, David claims a personal relationship to God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Just as David did, so do God's people in verse three of Psalm 100. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, what do we understand about this imagery of sheep and shepherds? Well, perhaps not much from our modern city lives, unless you're a fan of the R. Yorkshire Farm television series. I myself have never been a shepherd, nor have I ever kept sheep. But during the first COVID lockdown, my wife Susan and I spent a couple of months with our daughter and her family, surrounded by a number of sheep farms in Yorkshire. And it was lambing season at that time, and what we observed was the farmer's constant and relentless work with the sheep and the lambs. They cared so much about the welfare of the sheep and the lambs, they never stopped working. When we woke up in the morning, they were already in the fields tending to the sheep and the lambs. That went on all day. And when we went to bed at night, we could see the lights in the fields of those shepherd farmers who were still at work, hard work, work filled with muck, sweat, blood, wind, rain, cold, you get the picture. Watching the farmers and the sheep for a couple of months made me appreciate how utterly dependent those sheep were on the farmer and how utterly committed those farmers were to their flocks. And as the sheep are dependent on the shepherd, so we are dependent on our creator and are the sheep of his pasture. Now, why would someone like King David use this image of the Lord as his shepherd in Psalm 23. Well, for one thing, recall that David was a shepherd himself. David understood deeply the commitment of the shepherd and the dependency of the sheep. In fact, David didn't just tend to his sheep, he risked his life for his sheep. In 1 Samuel 17, we read, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine, who was Goliath, of course. Now let me ask you, how much do you need to care about your sheep to engage in hand combat with a lion or a bear? I don't know about you, but I do not care about sheep that much. However, this is the heart of the shepherd that David had and what he has in mind when he says that the Lord is his shepherd. There could be much more to say regarding Psalm 23 in terms of God's care for us and his goodness towards us in relation to our passage today. I'd encourage you to reflect further on it, maybe even later today. But perhaps an even better picture is given to us in the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Turn with me to page 1076 in your pew Bible. And particularly 
verses 11 to 18. So it's page 1076, where Jesus says, starting in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. We are his sheep. We belong to him. He loves us so much that he didn't just risk his life for us, he willingly laid his life down for us. Jesus makes this very clear in the contrast between the hired hand and himself, the owner of the sheep. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Look especially at verse 14. His sheep know his voice, which clearly implies the familiarity of a relationship. This is how we should understand the phrase, know that the Lord is God, in verse three of Psalm 100. This knowing in these scripture passages is clearly more than just a mental grasp. The language is know, not know of. So this knowing is clearly implying a personal relationship, just like we saw in Psalm 23. Notice also Jesus' words in verse 16 of John chapter 10. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. That's us. And notice the parallel here to all the people of the earth in the first verse of our psalm today. So why worship the Lord? Because he made us, because we are his, and because of what it means to know him and be his people, people who Christ laid his life down for. Now look with me at verse four of Psalm 100. And that's back to page 604 in your pew Bible. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. This verse depicts the worshiping community entering the temple, God's dwelling place, his presence. And they do so with thanksgiving and praise. Now in all acts of worship, public or private, we come into God's presence. But notice here the imagery of the people entering into the temple courts together, corporately. There is something important about giving God praise and thanks as a community. Look around you. We are that community in this place here today. And we see this pattern of corporate worship in the New Testament church as well. For example, Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God 
with gratitude in your hearts. Turning back to verse 4 of our psalm today, as in Colossians 3.16, thanksgiving is the appropriate response to what God has done for us. So verse 4 of our psalm tells us that thirdly, we are to thank God for what he has done for us. And in Psalm 100, as in the New Testament church in Colossians, we see, see that occurring by his people together collectively. But is our praise just a response to what God has done for us? Well, certainly for what he has done, but certainly more than just for what he has done. And this is the final part of the answer to our question of why come to worship God. Fourthly, we are to worship God because of who he is. Let's look at verse five. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. Here are three things this tells us about who God is. He is good, perfectly good. He is full of love, love that endures forever. Some translations have his steadfast love. And he is faithful. Recall again the imagery of God as shepherd, and especially Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Verse five describes God as worthy of our worship and praise and thanksgiving. Yes, because of what he has done for us, but more so because of who he is. Reflect on this. If we respond to God only because of what he has done for us, then that's somewhat transactional, not relational, and perhaps not the relationship that would be characterized by knowing that the Lord is God, or knowing him in the sense that the sheep know their shepherd. Not like David described his relationship with God, with the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Not like Jesus's words, that his sheep know his voice. Also, when we think of giving God thanks and praise and why we would do that, notice that verse four is immediately followed by the word for in verse five, which answers the why worship God question. And notice that verse four is preceded by the call to know that the Lord is God in verse three. So our thankfulness and praise stems from more than the wonderful things that God has done for us, but also simply because of who God is. A God that we can have a relationship with, who is good, who is full of love, and yes, who is faithful. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, the Good Shepherd, who willingly laid down his life for us, we can fully enter God's presence and worship him, not with fear, but with joy and gladness. Because of the grace of God to us through Christ, we can have a relationship with and enjoy God, our maker. So thinking back now to my questions at the beginning around why we gather together to worship and the prospect of church becoming routine, consider again our time here together with each other this morning. Let's use the rest of this precious opportunity to respond to the psalmist's call as we continue to worship our maker, our shepherd.